Now, if you are joining us for the first time in the room today or the first time online, my name's Troy, and I want to welcome you to week three of our series that's called Don't Just Sit There. And this title is a reflection of the words of James, the brother of Jesus, who encourages us through the book of the New Testament that bears his name, the book of James, which tells us to make sure that our faith is not merely an internal thing but rather that for our faith is to be full of life and this type of faith is to be defined by the way that we express how we love God and how we love other people. It's about, about making sure that we express that outwardly. And this is reflected in something that James himself writes in chapter 2 that Edwina mentioned last week when she, when she told us, reminded us of this passage here from James. He says, Faith by itself... If it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Or in other words, without doing something with the faith that we profess in Jesus Christ, then our faith is lifeless. Our faith is dead. And so it is about how we express the faith that we have. So in week one of the series, we looked at chapter one of James and focused on what we are to do, our actions... When we suffer, when we're in pain, when we have disappointments in life, because without a shadow of a doubt, you are to do something while you're sitting in your pain, while you're sitting in the difficulties, as hard as they may be sometimes, that we are to do something in those moments. Now, last week, then Edwina took us through the important parts of chapter two of James and specifically how our faith in Jesus moves us beyond simple uh, spiritual platitudes. Oh, I'll just pray for you. Oh, God bless you. To actually helping people. Now, that help could be with our spiritual gifts that, that we as believers have been received from the Holy Spirit. We've been gifted with those things. It could be using our gifts or it could be just helping people because they need our help, regardless of how that help may be expressed. So our faith in Jesus compels us to help people. And so today, then, we look at the next chapter, chapter 3. And if you've been a God person for some time, then the chances are that you have read these words of James we're looking at today or perhaps even heard them before. You may have even come prepared today having already read chapter 3 of James. And if you have done that, fantastic. But even if you have heard these words before or these words from James are the very first time you've ever heard them, then these words that we're going to be looking at today are for every single one of us because he's going to be talking about situations that every single one of us can relate to in one way or another. So this is what James writes in the early parts of chapter 3 of James. He writes this, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. You know, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to, take, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All the kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
With the tongue, we praise the Lord, our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? You may have heard these words before. Now, in a saying that's been around for some time now, you may have heard the expression, friends don't let friends drink and drive. Never heard that expression before? Friends don't let friends drink and drive. That's a common one these days since the RBT started appearing on the scene many, many decades ago. But that's now morphed. That saying's now morphed into something a little bit more modern, and that is friends don't let friends drink and text in light of some of the things that happen when people are slightly inebriated. That is then extended a little bit further to say friends don't let friends drink and tweet. Friends don't let friends drink and tweet. Now, a tweet is a post that you, um, that you make using the social media platform Twitter. Does anybody not know what Twitter is? Everyone knows what Twitter is? Well, it is in case you don't know, particularly for you on, online, because I'm sure you don't know what Twitter is. Twitter is a, uh, like Facebook and where you can express yourself or you can update people on news and events in 280 characters or less. Now, if it is true that friends don't let friends drink and tweet, then perhaps a certain yellow-haired, orange-skinned ex-politician in a country east of Australia, if I know what I'm talking about here, um, maybe that person doesn't have any friends or is continually drunk considering... <laughs> the things that he or she has have tweeted over the years. It is absolutely perplexing about some of the things that he or she has, has tweeted. And so perplexing has some of the things that have been said that they have actually been banned from Twitter altogether. And so Twitter then has become a sort of like a platform of choice for people just to say whatever enters their heads and feel like, this is what I feel like saying. And they type away and they send it out into the internet, into the world saying, this is what's going through my head right now. Often it is unrestrained. Often it is absolutely malicious and degrading and demeaning and defaming. It's just sometimes just terrible, the stuff that gets sent out in the Twitter verse. Now, in the year 2020, the number of people using Twitter worldwide was about 321 million people quite a staggering amount when you think about it, isn't it? 321 million people using Twitter. But interestingly, in that same year of 2020, 200 million tweets were deleted. 200 million tweets were deleted. And the company that had set up a program to allow you to delete tweets, a company that's aptly called Tweet Deleter, um, <laughs> They, they, they say that, um, that they, they told us that it's the 200 million tweets that were deleted using their program. So what that means then is that in the year 2020, two-thirds of Twitter users deleted at least one thing from what they said in that particular year. Two-thirds of people took back something that they had said that they wished that they had not said. In Australia alone, in 2020, 739,000 tweets were deleted. Get your head around that for a moment. That's quite incredible. So I wonder if in this room today, 
whether or not we use Twitter or not. I wonder if in this room today, two-thirds of us wish that we could have deleted one thing, at least one thing, or could take back at least one thing that we have said in the last 12 months. I wonder if that's true. Would two-thirds of us wish that we could take something back? In analysing the tweets that were deleted, Tweet Deleter said that the majority of reasons why tweets were deleted was because of the use of profanity in the tweets, because a lot of people were also concerned about their employment prospects if they ever did a background check about some of the things that people had tweeted. That was the number one reason why people deleted tweets. The second reason was because of race. Because we have to remember, back in 2020, that's when Black Lives Matter movement was at its height. And people were saying rash things all over the place as a result of what was going on in that moment around Black Lives Matter. And so they thought, like, oh, wow, I've said that rashly. I'm going to now delete that as a result of what I've said. It's quite remarkable. Now, at the end of last year, a guy called Elon Musk, which you probably heard of, he bought Twitter for a gazillion dollars and he promised about restoring the ability for free speech on Twitter, something that had been restricted by the previous owners because of various things that had been tweeted out into the Twitterverse, particularly by none more prominent than that certain ex-politician in, in a country east... Oops, I nearly slept. Uh, slept that country east of Australia. Yeah, I wish I could take that back. Thank, thank you, Jess. Now, this is a really long way of getting around to my question. But I wonder how we reconcile the right of free speech in our lives where we can say whatever and whenever we like. How do we reconcile the right of free speech to what James says when it comes to you need to control your tongue? You need to control your tongue. And now in our modern times also control our typing fingers, which often express what is in our minds. You see, freedom of speech may be an important right in our society, but usually how right is our freedom of speech? How right is our freedom of speech? See, James affirms that we need to control our tongues and now our typing fingers because of the devastation that our words can have in our lives and in our world. I mean, how different would things be for you if you didn't say that thing? If only you could delete what you said. If only you could take that back and it never came out of your mouth in the first place. How would things be different for you if that was the case? But I would imagine that what would be even better is that not us only learn saying, I didn't say that, but what happens if we're actually different people that we didn't feel like we needed to say it at all because of our, the nature of our hearts, the way that our hearts have been transformed by Jesus? that we didn't even think that we had to say it, let alone hold it back ourselves. Wouldn't that have been something different again? Now, as I mentioned before, in the first two chapters, James makes the inseparable link between faith and deeds or faith and works. But as Professor Randolph Tasker writes, your words are your works. Works are not merely how you respond to somebody in need like Edwina talked about last week. 
Your works are just as much in the words that you say. Your words are equally your actions. So the question that James asks us in chapter 3 and into the first few verses of chapter 4, but I won't get ahead of Jeff for what he's going to be bringing next week. The question that comes up for us then is simply this. How does your faith impact the words that you say? So in chapter 3, James provides us two examples to get us to think about how our faith indeed impacts the words that we say. The first example, it comes from verses 4 and 5 of chapter 3, refreshing you on what these words are, what these verses are. It says this, Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Now, in this part, now this is the only place in all of Scripture where this Greek word orchio is used, which is translated into the English as the word boast. Now, usually, isn't it true that whenever you say boast, it's usually a negative context attached to it, has a negative connotation attached to it, but not in this case. This orchio word, translated into English as boast, it actually is talking about what um, the power to making you capable of doing something. In fact, a power which can do incredible, even boast-worthy things. So in verse 5 there, as we can see up on the screen, James says the tongue or the words that you say have incredible power. But he's talking about this power in reference to steering a boat in strong winds in verse 4. So in other words, James is saying that your tongue is as powerful as a ship, as a rudder on a ship. Now, when James says strong winds in verse 4 there, as you can see up there on the screen, the Greek word for strong in the original language in this context is the Greek word Skeleros, which usually means hard or rough, even cruel and violent. So specifically then, James is talking about using your tongue to steer you through rough, hard, even cruel and violent winds. But it's not talking about literal winds. The winds are the words that have been said against you. The winds or the words that come out of people's mouths, the rough, the hard, even cruel words said against you. But James says that it's up to the pilot of the ship who's going to determine how they're going to cope, what direction they're going to go in when those winds come, when those words come against you. So in other words... It is totally up to you about what you're going to do when people say cruel and hurtful things against you. It is up to you to decide on what you're going to do. See, it is you who ultimately decides what direction you are going to go when those hard winds come against you, when those cruel things are said against you. And it's all decided by what you say. What you do is decided by what you say. And whatever it is that you do say, when somebody says cruel and hurtful things against you, 
Whatever it is you do say, those words have incredible power in that particular situation. So again, we come back to the question, how does your faith impact the words that you say? Now remember in week one, we looked at one of James's first encouragements to us. One of his first encouragements to us was this. He says this, do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Don't merely listen to the word of God, do what it says. So when hard and cruel things are said against you, do what the word of God says. And what does the word of God say? Well, let me give you some examples. From the Old Testament in Exodus, it says this, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. When the enemy comes against you, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Elsewhere in Deuteronomy, it says, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord will vindicate his people. Skipping over to the New Testament, the Apostle Peter writes this, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this is what you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Elsewhere he writes, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. You see... Your tongue, the powerful rudder of your ship, will determine whether or not you actually do what the Word of God says. Now, I wish that I could say that I have always done what the Word of God says. And that would be a complete lie if I said that. I have not done that. Being an engineer from way back, there are many times when such words have come against me, I've responded not as a follower of Jesus, I've responded as an engineer. Now, as an engineer, one of the guiding principles of all you do is Newton's third law of motion. Now, does anyone know what Newton's third law of motion is? To every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So what that meant was bringing Newton into every one of my interactions with people meant that if you came against me with those words I'm coming back at you with the same words even more so because that's what Newton's third law of motion says in other words you come with cruel cruel and hard words against me right back at you right back at you you see for me Conscious of being conscious of my faith and conscious of what God said in his word was a distant second to making sure that I came back full guns in the way that you came at me. (laughs) And every time I did that, things were never the same again in some way. Every time. Because I didn't do what it said. So when it comes to you, are you prepared to let God fight for you and you only be still and not speak? Are you prepared to let God vindicate you instead of you trying to win with your words? Are you prepared to repay evil with blessing and not trade insult for insult, hurt for hurt? 
Are you prepared to do good, say good things, so as to silence the mean words said to you by foolish people in your world? See, if you are prepared to do that, that takes incredible faith. Let me say that again. Doing what the Bible says takes faith. And so this is one of the answers to the question, how does your faith impact the words you say? Well, if you have faith in the word of God, then when hard words, cruel words come against you, you will have faith in the word of God and I will not repay insult for insult, hurt for hurt. I will reverse Newton's third law of motion. You come against me with bad, hard, cruel intents, I'm coming back at you with love and blessing. Are you prepared to do what the word of God says? Or are you just prepared to listen to it? Now that's one example that James uses. Here's another. He also writes in this section, with the human tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we, we, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Now, what I'm about to share with you comes with Edwina's complete knowledge and somewhat reluctant approval. And she's not here today, so hello, my love. You know, there's very little that bugs me about my wife, my beautiful wife of 27 years. There's very, very few things that bugs me about her. But one of the things that does bug me, and I may have shared this before, is how loud Edwina sneezes at home. The industrial deafness that I picked up as an engineer has only been multiplied by the loudness of her sneezing at home. Now, it is not the loudness of her sneezing that frustrates me. What frustrates me is that when we ever go into public, she sneezes quietly. Now, I don't understand. When at home... Windows shatter by the shockwave of her sneeze. But we come to church, we go to movies, we go to public place. <coughs> How can both loud and quiet sneezes come out of the same mouth? I don't understand. You know, I wonder how true that is also is when it comes to the words that we say. I mean... How many things do you say particularly to your spouse or to your kids or to your parents that you would never dream of saying to anybody else? What makes them so special that you choose to use your words in a particular way that you would never dream of saying to anybody else? Why is that the case? Maybe a sneezing equivalent when it comes to our words, is with swearing. You know, I know that basically you can't watch a television show, you can't watch a movie these days without some level of swearing being in it. It's almost we've become immune, you know, totally tolerant of swearing these days. So let me ask you, how much do you swear? How often does the S word come into your vocabulary or the F word or some other phrase. How often does that happen? 
Do you swear more in certain situations and with certain people than others? But if we only swear in certain situations, would you swear if you happen to meet King Charles? Would you swear if the Channel 9 News interviewed you as a witness to some event that went on in your neighbourhood? Would you swear as well? Imagine for a moment, Jesus appeared before you in an instant. I would imagine some of us may say an expletive of that. <laughs> but let's leave that aside for a moment. In a personal conversation with Jesus standing before you, would you use the same swear words to Jesus as you would do in, with other people in other settings? See, I wonder if we have totally forgotten or have deliberately ignored when the word of God says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be benefit, that may benefit those who listen. Now, unwholesome talk there in, includes a whole range of things, but it definitely includes swearing. So if you are a swearer, can I ask you, do you really need to be? Do you really need to be a, a swearer, particularly if you don't use the swear words in every situation? So if you would not say the swear, swear words in other settings, then why not resolve to not swear at all? Why? Because of your faith in the fact that you believe that your words are important to God. And because you want to show the extent to which the Holy Spirit is transforming you into the person that God wants you to be and to be different to the overwhelming majority of every other person in this world. And because of the faith that you have in doing what the Word of God says. That's why you may resolve to not swear in any situation. Now, in the same way, when it comes to speaking words which speak of the magnificence of God, why do we speak to God about his majesty in wonder in one breath, but the next moment we pull down and disrespect the person who's made in God's image, who reflects the magnificence of God and who God actually lives inside of through the power of the Holy Spirit? So if you can speak honouring words to God about who God is, then is there anything preventing you from speaking honouring and respectfully and loving ways to people who are made in God's image? What's our question of today again? How does your faith impact the words that you say? Perhaps the challenge to you and to me today is a challenge is to resolve to do something. Do something with the faith that you have. And maybe what we resolve to do is this. I will not speak to anyone in a way that I will not speak to Jesus. I will not to speak to anyone in a way that I would not speak to Jesus. And that is particularly applicable when it comes to your spouse and to your kids and to your parents, the most precious of relationships that you have in your life. I will only speak to people in the way that I would speak to Jesus. 
from James's word when talking about the incompatibility of both freshwater and saltwater springs coming out of the same person, we have two options when it comes to the things that we say. One alternative is that we start to be as disrespectful to God as we are to other people in our lives. That's the easy out. Let's, let, me just, let me just swear and be disrespectful to God like I am to my spouse or my friends or that person at work or that person on the road who just cut me off. Now, we could do that, I guess, but I would suggest that James is recommending a different way for us. I suspect James is saying, speak to one another the same way that you'd speak to God. Where we honour the people in our lives with the words we say to them as equally as we would honour God with the words we say to him. I wonder how things would change if that was the case. I wonder how many things we'd want to take back and delete if we spoke to one another the way that we want to speak to God. People in your life are going to frustrate you, they're going to infuriate you and they are going to hurt you with their words and their actions. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As much as it's up to me, I will use my words, I will use my tongue to direct the destiny of my life towards what God wants for me. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not to have hard conversations sometimes. Sometimes we have to go there, but it's in the way that we use our words. That's important. See, we can use our words in ways that burn bridges and set forests on fire, or we can use our words that still love and affirm and encourage, but which still confront and still sets right without destroying anything. Now, to do this, and to do this well, takes wisdom. But I would imagine that in every single one of those situations when you have said something that you wish you could take back, I would imagine that in every one of those situations you would say, I didn't use my words wisely in that moment. So to try and prevent us saying things that we don't want to say and to say things instead wisely... What can we do? Well, we come back to an encouragement from James from chapter 1. James says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's a great encouragement. That not only that God will give us wisdom generously, but even if you have messed up so many times and have not used your words wisely in the past, if you ask God for wisdom now in what you're about to say, then he will give you wisdom in that. And that's so important, particularly when you know you've got to have a hard conversation with somebody. Or when you find yourself in a conversation that you didn't expect to be, but all, all of a sudden there's all this tension in this, in this conversation pause instead of reacting. God, give me wisdom about what to say here. Ask God for wisdom. But what we have to, we have to be prepared for is that some of the wisdom from God is saying, just shut up. Don't say anything. Keep your tongue silent here. See, we think that the, our right of freedom of speech gives us permission to say whatever we want, whenever we want to say it. But the reality is that what we have to recognise is saying that we aren't to live by our supposed rights. 
we are to bring all of our rights under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so what that means then is saying that where we might feel like the exercise, the, our right to say whatever we want, or there's the opportunity to say whatever we want, and going, no, if God's wisdom is to say, Troy, shut up, then I've got to shut up. Don't speak. I have gone into situations which I know are fraught with danger and I have literally bit my tongue to make sure that I'd listened and didn't react and didn't speak. Even when I could have, even when I should have, I clamped my teeth on my tongue literally to make sure that I didn't speak because that's what the wisdom that God had told me to do in that particular situation. Oh, I wish I bit my tongue a whole lot more through the course of my life. You see, not speaking is actually doing something, believe it or not. Because whenever you don't speak, you are allowing God to vindicate you. That's what you're doing. You're opening a door for God to vindicate you when you don't say anything. You put your faith in God by not saying anything. We have to learn the discipline of silence. And a discipline of silence is actually an act of faith. We have to do that a whole lot more. But the reality is that the majority of chapter 3 of James is talking about the words that we do use. And so James says, when you do use words, use them wisely. Let your tongue be controlled and restrained because of the faith you have in God and who God is in your life. Remember how chapter 3 started? It starts like this. James says, we all stumble in many ways, but anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. The tongue corrupts the whole body. No human being can tame the tongue. Seems a little bit of conflicting, isn't it? He's saying here that if you can control your tongue, then you are perfect. But he goes on to say in the same passage, no one can control the tongue. So none of us are perfect other than Jesus, who is fully God and fully human. Jesus is the only one who spoke wisely every single time. But none of us are Jesus, are we? So that every single one of us gets this wrong a lot of the time. And so what that means then, there is an opportunity for us then to recognise where we have fallen short when it comes to the control of our tongue. If you know there have been times where you wish you could get that word back, that you wish you could delete the thing that you said, the things that you typed, being drunk or otherwise, and I'm not, not advocating drunkenness here at all, please make sure, I want to make sure that's clear. But if you wish that you could have said, well, not said that at all. Then maybe the work of the Holy Spirit in you right now is recognising, you know what, I need to put this right by apologising to that person for what I said, if you haven't already done so. See, the reality is that realising that we, 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 we don't always get this right and we fall short, it, it clearly indicates then that we need a saviour. We need the saviour. We need Jesus to not only forgive us of our sins, for us to find peace with God our Father in heaven, but for also through that forgiveness process for us to be transformed into the people that God wants us to be. 
through the process of forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit, we become different people, where our hearts are transformed, where, we're, where we don't even need to respond and think that and say that, as we may ordinarily have done so in the past. We need Jesus to change us. So maybe if you're online today, maybe if you're here in the room and you realise, you know what, I've got to, I need Jesus to help me through this process, to get control over my tongue, to change my heart, then today is the day when you go, you know, I'm going to put up my hand and say, I need to follow Jesus. I need to do what the word of God says. I need to dedicate my life to following my Saviour and my Lord for me to be different. So if that is you today, or if you realise, you know what, I just need to confess what I've said to somebody in my life, that Holy Spirit give me the courage to go and say, sorry, if you haven't done so already. For some of us, unfortunately, we have that, we've missed that opportunity now. That person is maybe even gone and we can't make amends for those things that we said. And that's sad if that's the case. But for those of us who know that we can still make amends with people as a result of things that we have said, then can I encourage you to do so for the power of the Holy Spirit because of the conviction that he's brought into your life about putting things right as a reflection of the transformation that's gone on in your life because Jesus is there. So if you need prayer today for any of this, then myself and, and John Owens will, will, be, will, be, will be there, will be available. We'd love to talk with you about that. And maybe Lorraine and Jeff Hall, if you can make yourselves available as well, please, that would be, that would be great. So we're just going to be meeting out there. If you need prayer for any of aspects of this, we would love to pray with you and ask Jesus into your life, maybe for the very first time, to accept him as your saviour from your sin, as well as the one who you will live for, as him being Lord. Will you join me in prayer? Lord God, we thank you so much that the words of James are so wise and speak life into our lives if we have ears to hear but not only that, that we have the courage to do what it says. Lord, I want to thank you for every person here today, Lord God, who, have, who, who regularly asks you for wisdom at the things that we want to say. But Lord, may each of us do that more and more so that you give us the right words to say in every situation, even if what you say to us is just be quiet. Don't say anything. Bite your tongue. Lord, there may be people here this morning, Lord God, who feel deeply convicted about things that they've said in the past. Lord, be graceful, gracious to those people, Lord God. Be gracious to those people and encourage them, Lord God, about the next steps of what they are to do in light of the revelation that they have today. Lord, but I want to pray for every single body, particularly those who are listening to me right now, who want to and need to come to you, Lord Jesus, to confess their sins, the sins of the mouth, Lord God, things have said or other things we've done in our lives, come to you to confess our sin and ask for your forgiveness and come to you, Lord Jesus, to now direct our lives as our Lord. Lord, if that's anybody here today, give them the courage to recognise that, to express that in prayer or, or talking to me during the week. Lord, we want to lift all things up to you now. And thank you for the way these words of James can help you continue to transform us. In Jesus' mighty name.
Amen.